No House Advantage is taking a different spin on daily fantasy sports by offering player prop contests across all of the major sports for cash. It's an awesome new fantasy sports platform that's leveling the playing field and making it easier to win uh, than the traditional fantasy sports apps, which can be kind of confusing sometimes. Download the No House Advantage app and check out our daily player prop contests without having to make a single deposit. Play in public, cash, prize, pool, contests, or create your own private contest with friends. Use promo code EDGE, E-D-G-E, when you're signing up. And if your first deposit is at least $10, you're going to get a free PFF EDGE annual subscription. So it's $10, then you get a $40 subscription for free. Just do it. It's easy. It's the best way to get an EDGE subscription because you get it for $10. Uh, and the cool thing is that they'll match your first deposit up to $20. So go to No House Advantage uh, and download the No House Advantage app. Use promo code EDGE when you're signing up and making your first deposit. You'll get a match and an EDGE subscription. I don't have words to describe the Bears' offense. Uh, let me just say this. Last week, Ben and I, we recorded this podcast during the worst offensive performance that human history has ever witnessed, the Dallas Cowboys. And this week, we were treated to an identical representation of just utter feces on film. The Chicago Bears offense, which has a quarterback that cannot hit an open receiver to save his life, an offensive line that couldn't block me. And look, I think I'm a decent athlete, but come on. Um, and some talented receivers that, please God, hopefully they get a, uh, a quarterback at some point. Ben, this is the daily betting podcast. We're going to move on to week eight. But... Help me out, brother, because I fuck the Chicago Bears offense. My God. Right. I mean, I mean, at one point I was a decent believer in Nick Foles. I have to admit it. I'm not going to go back on my word at this point in time. That was just awful. It was atrocious. I can't imagine how bad of a beating that would have been if Aaron Donald was actually good at run defense. That's I don't even want to consider what the score good point. could have actually been at that point in time. But it was weird because, like, Allen Robinson basically wasn't involved whatsoever. I know he got injured a little bit. I think I don't know exactly what his final stat line was, but Nick Foles was distributing the ball decently well. I think Jimmy Graham was close to getting over. Anthony Miller did go over. Uh, you know, Darnell Mooney tied his prop total at the end there. So it was kind of a, just a really weird game. David Montgomery went over, but it was just like a check down machine. I need to check his average up the target, but Bears offense is not looking good. I mean, obviously it was pretty clear that they were fraudulent 5-1 team. I think that's even more evident. But I'm more still like on the takeaway that the Bears probably aren't that good as opposed to the Rams still being contenders here in the NFC. I do think that they're probably still uh, a step below what teams I would classify as the top of the NFC. I'm wondering what you think on that. Yes, I, I am in agreement there. The, the I don't know... I don't know if this is going to get glossed over, but I have a feeling it will. Jared Goff tried to throw three interceptions. And if Deshaun Gibson knew that he was playing football and not spike ball, they had a pick six. Cut. 
But he literally yeah, I mean, forgot right the- that catching the football was allowed. <laughs> He did swat it in the ground harder than anything I've ever seen I, swat in a long time. It was time, like me so. trying to swat a fly. It was, right. I was, I, I mean, I was apoplectic for a lot of the game, but that that was one of them. Here, so here's the thing: both these teams had reasons to believe that, you know, for us to believe that they were not very good. The Los Angeles Rams have played the sixtieth schedule to this point, and the teams that they had beaten were all a member of uh, the JV League, the NFC East. So there's no reason to believe that that they're very good. And the Bears similarly have a bad offense. And that was, I think, the thing that I should have realized before going all in on the Chicago Bears plus six, plus six and a half, is that the Bears defense played well as we thought they would. I mean, they did. It, you know, aside from Akeem Hicks. I mean, anytime you get even anytime you get six points from the defense, seven yeah. points from defense, I think you obviously consider that a win. And they only held it at 24 points, which was uh, I guess probably not under their team total, but it was pretty. I mean, close yeah, but if you were like, "Hey, they're going to score twenty four, I think I I would have been okay with taking it. that. Yeah, right. Um, but Nick Foles continues to be inaccurate as all hell, and uh, this was this was the the salient moment for me during the game. I sat there third quarter. I'm like, man, I'd feel so much better if Mitch Trubisky were in this game. And right. uh, that that summed it up to me. <laughs> That's like rock bottom at this point in time. Yeah, it gets but, no I don't worse. Know. So, it gets no worse. It just it doesn't get any worse. So what? So okay. So what do you think about the Rams Miami here yes. coming up in let's Week get, Eight? Because I cannot, I cannot peg the Rams. I've been wrong on them. I think every week when I fade them, I get pounded. When I back them, I they don't show up basically whatsoever either. I think that was last Sunday night basically where they just didn't come through at all. So I'm wondering how are you projecting out this Rams at Miami game? coming up here Sunday I cannot so I don't see a line right now I think it was three and a half before this game happened I think it would probably only move up at that point in time. right I think it, we're gonna get down to the no, Miami at plus no. three or anything like that so um three and a half is short in my opinion right I Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing really well I don't know that you're just going to say, oh, yeah, Tua's going to come in here and he's going to play as like a top 10 quarterback, which was how Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing. The quarterback's the most important position on the, the football field, and you're telling me that all of a sudden Ryan Fitzpatrick is a system quarterback for the Miami Dolphins? I think that's a bit ridiculous. Um, here's the thing with the Rams. They have a bye after this game, and then they play the Seahawks, uh, the Packer, no, no, Seahawks, the Niners, and the Bucks. That's basically so when their stretch starts, right? Yeah. They better come in with a fire and a fury. I know that they're going across. I know they're on short rest. Um, I know it's an early Dolphins game. Dolphins coming off the bye. Dolphins else. are coming yeah. off the bye, and it's probably going to be a little hot and sticky. Um, and for those reasons, I'd be tempted to lay off. But if I were going to bet one side, I have a really hard time just going all in on a rookie quarterback after they've benched a guy that has been elevating the rest of his team. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't disagree with that, but I do think that that's probably going to be the market direction that we see coming out of this Rams performance on Monday night. So I am interested to see what we actually get as far as line movement. I think at what point in time would you actually have to step in to buy the Dolphins here on Sunday? Would it have to be close to that, you know, plus seven spread? Are you looking just, would you buy in a little bit before that or what? If if it got to seven, I would. Okay, but nothing before they touch it. 
Yeah, man. Okay. I, I, okay. Really? I, Fitzpatrick's been good. It's not like they benched Fitzpatrick because he was playing poorly. I but so then why, so why did they bench him then? I mean, they have to at some point they have to be evaluated evaluating to okay. somewhat yeah. and in practice, right? Here, like he has to be performing at least somewhat well. He, that, but also he, I think it's just a matter of health. If you right. if you go to the playoffs with Fitzpatrick, what do you do? You just Right. You've wasted a year of Tua's contract. You have no idea what he is, and then you're you're what you're getting rid of Fitzpatrick. I think I, I'm not saying that I I agree with the move necessarily, but um, I I think that's why they did it. Uh, okay, I want to get to um, uh, a couple of games here. So the first one is Tennessee Cincinnati. This is now Cincinnati plus six. Uh, Eric and I wrote it up last night at four and a half. Four and a half, yeah. Um, and total is fifty-five. Six is six is a lot for a Titans team that stops nobody. Um, do you have a read on either the side or the total in this game? Yeah, I mean, I would obviously love four and a half at this point. I'm glad we got just a little bit of that action yesterday. But in saying that, I mean. We're, we're we're Joe Burrow fans. I know Eric's not fully on board at this point in time, but I'm definitely still willing to back uh, Burrow at home at six points at this point in time. If I had to step in, I feel much better about getting the Titans at four and a half than I would buy it into the Bengals at six. But I still think if you're looking for a play on that number, I would probably lean towards Cincinnati at home. Um, just with that backdoor cover opportunity, kind of opening up a lot of options basically at plus six, I do think are viable. So if I was looking at the current number, um, yeah, I'm definitely probably leaning towards Joe Burrow, but I do agree with what both of you guys said yesterday. I mean, 55 points, I feel like they're probably going to be able to get over that uh, pretty easily as well. I know Ryan Tannehill had not necessarily a great first half against the Steelers, but I do think that they were able to obviously move the ball against, um, you know, top two or three defense in the NFL, according to our opponent-adjusted defensive grade. So I don't think that Cincinnati is really going to be offering any sort no. of resistance. You know, resistance will not be served here in Cincinnati. It's they may be serving gonna Skyline be Chili, but it will not be resistance. Okay. Skyline Chili is like resistance in a different way. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, it opens up things. Um, all right. Give me another game that you want to hit. All right, let's hear. I mean, we got to touch on what I would say is the best best game on the week, probably Pittsburgh at Baltimore. Mm-hmm. This is right now. Uh, where is three it? and a half is what I'm seeing. I see a juice three, but we can call it three. I see and a half. juice three. I see a juice three too. We can call it three and a half here. I think that makes the conversation more interesting. I mean, minus three, minus one twenty five, it might as well be three and a half. Um, man. This is another situation where the Titans came out, played poorly. Big Ben did not really make me feel great. Ravens are coming off of a bye. The Ravens are a team that I just can't really get a read on because I have so much faith in John Harbaugh and um, and Lamar, who I think is, you know, like I, I just feel like Lamar can just torture team at any point in time. The Steelers blitzing the way they do, it makes me feel as though this gives op- Lamar an opportunity to escape and be really dangerous. Um, yeah. So I think the right side here uh, is the Ravens, but I, man, I'm, I am torn. I am torn. 
I mean, I think I love minus three, even if you're paying one, minus 125. I know you kind of touched on it with John Harper, but I do think he's a, just a little bit overlooked as far as this elite coaching discussion sort of thing coming off a of bye, Ravens, you know, team analytics, this and that. I think that they're uh, definitely in a good spot here coming up as only three and a half point favorites. Move basically minus eight in the preseason, minus seven to open this week. Obviously not too many people in the betting market are buying into him at this point in time. And, you know, I kind of am, honestly. I do. I, w- I went back. I looked a little bit at Lamar Jackson's passing stats, basically, from 2019 to 2020. His passing grade is seven points worse. He's taken a significant more sacks. Um, I think it's more related to, you know, his ability to scramble hasn't necessarily been as great as it was in 2019. But his completion percentage, just a completion percentage, average depth of target, time to throw, those things are all basically identical to 2019. So I think just from that perspective, I do think that they're probably going to make be able to make some tweaks coming up here on the bye week. Uh, obviously, they're going to have two weeks to prepare for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's coming up a little bit of a short week, big win, those sorts of things. So I'm definitely looking for Lamar Jackson to kind of reestablish, you know, his basic proudness as far as like being that MVP type player that we saw last year. So I don't know. I think mainly the thing is going to be, again, how he handles pressure, which is obviously, uh, you know, not stable from game to game. I think in 2019, he took a sack on roughly 15% of his pressure dropbacks. 2020 this year is more, you know, along the, along, along the lines of 21%, 22%. So just from that perspective, I think that's kind of detrimental to Ravens offense so far in 2020. But if they can correct that on Sunday, I do think that they're probably going to be uh, running away with this game. Because I'm not, I still haven't bought into Big Ben at this point in time. Yes. I know they've done it with their defense. I know they've done it with a lot of other well, adversary parts. What, but he's still, what is he at? 6.7 average up the target. You know, Deontay Johnson's making tons of plays, yards after the catch. So What did we learn tonight, right? That, you know, defense is a hard thing to predict from week to week. Um, Okay, the the second, I I thought you were going to say this was the game of the week because Seattle-San Francisco is a hell of a game. It's in Seattle. uh, Seattle, minus three, minus 115. I don't think it gets to three and a half, and if it does, it won't stay there long because I think at three and a half, you have to bet the 49ers, and my rationale for this is as follows. The Seattle Seahawks, could not stop a nosebleed if they were handed all the cotton uh, swabs in the entire world. I mean, they just could not. And Kyle Shanahan has proven that as long as Jimmy G's ankles are not broken, you're not going to be able to really stop this offense. Jimmy G is throwing the ball an average of 5.2 yards down the football field over the last two weeks. It is the shortest average of the target of any quarterback. And yet, and yet, he is averaging over 11 yards per pass attempt, which is the most of any quarterback in the NFL. Translation, he's being asked to do basically nothing, and the result is the most efficient passing offense in the NFL (laughs) from a yardage standpoint. I mean, that's insane. So are you, here's my thought. I think maybe that the Debo news, I thought the Debo news would push this maybe to three and a half, and I would be excited for that because I still think you know, they have Ayuk, George Kittle's insane. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, does does Debo Samuel scare you off this? Because I've got to think that you agree with me in, in terms of the Niners offense being successful against the Seahawks. Yeah, I, there's no question if they're going to be able to move the football. Again, it comes down to, you know, what version of Russell Wilson we're actually going to be getting here again on Sunday, in my opinion. I mean, I think that, 
Russell Wilson is basically to blame for their loss on Sunday Night Football. Um, I would say for the majority of things, I think he had two really bad interceptions. I think he would probably claim that as well. So just from that perspective, I think if Seattle plays as well as they're capable of, I do think they probably will cover minus three. If there's any sort of situation where Russell Wilson has even one, you know, somewhat poor mistake that actually leads to a turnover, then I do think San Francisco is definitely going to be able to not only cover, but potentially win here at this point in time. And I, I would agree with you. I mean, obviously Debo Samuels, you know, he helps this offense, but I don't think he's necessarily um, moving the needle as much as it would if this jumped up basically a half point just because of his injury situation. So I don't know. I would definitely be buying into San Francisco at three and a half. Three, I think it's just it's just a tough play at that point in time, in my opinion, because you're basically flipping coins mm-hmm. uh, if this game goes into overtime or something like that, like we saw the last two weeks. Yeah. So I don't know. The NFC West is wild it's at this crazy. point in time. Uh, okay, there's another uh, really good game that's lined kind of similarly. So let's just keep it rolling here. Bills minus three, minus one twenty-five. Basically, Bills minus three and a half. The New England Patriots look awful. They look terrible. Yeah. We're used to seeing this. I feel like every single year. Last year, it turned out them looking terrible was them being terrible. Um, the New England Patriots. I will repeat this: are three and a half point underdogs. The Buffalo Bills. Like I, to to me, that seems like a spot where you just go. I can't really believe this is the case. I know that they looked bad last week, but this is Bill Belichick we're talking about. Are you right. worried that maybe it's really not about Belichick? It was always Brady the whole time. I honestly have believed that for a while now. I think I believed it in the offseason. I was low on the Patriots to start the season. Yeah. And then I kind of started to question myself when I started talking to you a little bit more about, you know, the Peter King narrative, all these other things. They went into Seattle. I thought they basically could have mm-hmm. beat Seattle. So I'm wondering, um, you know, I I don't know if I'm overrating that performance and stuff like that, but I've actually backed off of New England in general, at least from fading them like I wanted to earlier in the season just because I wasn't quite sure how to read them. At this point in time, I would probably lean towards the Bills. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly, I do kind of agree with Eric. I did actually say this yesterday on the v show, but there is like a small part of me who still is buying into some sort of like Bill Belichick uh, tanking narrative, even if he's doing it in this really elaborate fashion. I don't know. It is, it's... It's something something is weird going something weird is going on in the Patriots building and I'm not sure what it is so that's why I've probably just been avoiding their lines and spreads um, as opposed to actually probably buying into fading them a little bit more which has probably left you know some money on the table at this point in time but it might be the safest approach so I don't know if I had to choose I would definitely take the okay. Bills minus three and a half so. we're gonna disagree here and here's why the Buffalo Bills rely more on Josh Allen to make throws than the Niners do. And this is where the Patriots can take advantage of that. Um, the Bills, I think you could make an argument. It was more damning that they barely beat the Jets than that the Patriots got run over by the, the Niners. Um, now, here's what could torpedo this completely. The reason the Patriots, I thought, looked good against the Seahawks was that Julian Edelman looked good. And if Julian Edelman looks good, then he can separate. And that provides, you don't need, when Cam Newton is your quarterback and you can run the ball with him from the quarterback position, you don't need three guys getting open. You can handle it with one. Uh, but Julian Edelman, over, since that time, has been an absolute disaster. He's not separating. He has, I don't, he has like one catch. I think it's kind of banged yeah, up, honestly. That, but that's, and I that's mean, my that's worry, the is, is that he's yeah, banged I up. I don't know if Cam is banged up. But they only ran the ball with him on a design run one time in their first three drives against the Niners. 
So I don't know what's going on there, but if I were going to take one side here, I think I would I would take the the Patriots getting three and a half and believe that, that Bill Belichick um, can turn it around. Turn it around. See, and this this just keeps going back to my question as far as like how much does a coach actually influence on field performance? I think that Bill Belichick is a really good coach, but I don't know if I would put him in. I think he's a really good game planning coach, except, especially from the defensive side of the ball. I know Josh McDaniels gets a lot of credit on offense, but I think um, when I'm looking for coach coaching influence, I want to see you know some like game plan, not necessarily game planning, but like design plays that are going to basically put their quarterback in really good situations to actually throw to receivers I mean, that are wide open. I think Kyle Shanahan you want to see what does Kyle that. Shanahan does, right? I mean, that. Exactly. I mean, that's what that, I, and that's that's the reason why I would probably put, I'm not saying that, you know, Kyle Shanahan's a better coach, but if I'm trying to factor in how much a coach actually influences a, a game in that particular week, I'm looking more at play design than, you know, any of the other outside factors as far as building teams well, and stuff like and that. So I don't know, but I don't think, I don't think Bill Belichick's a problem. I don't think Cam Newton's a problem. I do think it is like you touched on, a lack of separation from any sort of playmakers downfield where there's just yeah. like no open windows at all to throw to. So, all right, where do you want to go next? Let's see. What? Uh, I mean, Chargers Denver. Perfect. What do you think about that one? I know Perfect. you guys locked it up a little bit. I so. love this game. The Chargers are a three point favorite in Denver. It was snowy in Denver. Turns out Drew Locke has never seen snow before. And it's going to be 60 and not snowing in Denver on Sunday. And the total here is 44 and a half. And uh, I don't know if you've watched Justin Herbert play football, but my man takes shots down the football field. And that results in points. So I will take over 44 and a half in the year of our Lord 2020. Um, Can you talk me off of this ledge? I can't talk you off of that, man. I mean... I just want to know how far up this line actually needs to move for you to not be betting yeah. the over because I feel like it's got a good four-point movement in here or something. I like don't that. understand. I do, why I do it's... love the over. So what is the reasoning I... for it being so low? Is this just looking at the Broncos saying, okay, they've played two straight games where they've been anemic on offense? The Chargers are scoring, but in maybe ways that are unsustainable in terms of the kind of throws that Justin Herbert is making. Is that the uh, reasoning? I... I mean, maybe it's a little bit overrating the Chargers' defense at this point mm. in time, too, a little bit. I don't think it necessarily... Um, obviously, PFF, I think, in general, was low on Drew Locke to start the season. I think yeah, he that's sucks. probably come... Yeah, and he, that's definitely come to fruition, but I don't think he's probably been as bad as what his stats are currently showing at this point in time. I think they're, like, negative... When Drew Locke is on the field, basically, as a quarterback, I think they're, like, negative, negative point What's four a negative? For passing. Negative. Neg- that's a Minnesota that really, thing, bro. Yeah, you clearly want to move <laughs> that's to that a game. Sling. You don't want to move to that game. So, I don't know. Um, I don't think Drew Locke's as bad as he's played, basically, at this point in time. So, I would probably be buying into the over, you know, all the way up through 47, 48. I think definitely, you know, crossing key numbers and kind of get through that point. So, I think that's decent value. That was my favorite bet of the... Um, the Sunday night, Monday morning delirium that, and you guys got some value on it already. I think it's I see that I see it at forty five already. Okay. So all your picks have moved in the right direction, which is basically all you can ask. That's for all. That's all time, I right? can ask for at this point. That is all I can ask for at this point. Um, okay, I have another one for you here. Uh, before, because you know Vikings Packers is now seven. Uh, I guess a little juice, but probably stays at seven. The Bucks and the Giants. 
The Bucks are an 11 point favorite on the road in New York. I'm sure there's a little bit of Tom Brady wants to trounce all over the New York Giants. But, and Tom Brady is, should be in the top three for the MVP conversation. I talked about this yesterday. He leads the league in big time throws. He is absolutely dealing. And the only reason that I don't think he has maybe caught Russell Wilson is that that for those first couple of games, you know, he had a pick six on a miscommunication, a couple of things here and there. He yelled at his center, whatever. They lost to the Bears on Thursday night because they had a million penalties. This dude is throwing the ball as well as just about anyone in the NFL right now. But they just signed Antonio Brown. He's going to be back for the next week. They play the Saints on Sunday night. The Giants suck. This is 11. Um, total 47 a little on the low side for 2020. I am talking myself into the New York Giants on Monday Night Football, and that is a bad thing because I have been an absolute disaster on Monday Night Football the past couple of weeks. Right. I mean, I I unfortunately can't really talk you out of it at this point in time either. I think, you know, the Giants basically got there for us on Thursday Night Football this past week. I don't mind them here at plus 11. I think that's kind of... a you know, a little bit of an overcorrection from the market in general. I do think Tampa Bay has been good. Obviously, their defense is quite good. Their offense is going to be really, really good. Um, but I'm I'm still buying into the Danny Dimes here in a little bit in this situation. I do think that that I do think they're going to be able to keep it close. And like you said, that lower total is obviously conducive to uh, covering that 11 point spread. So that's the direction that I would definitely be leaning. I do think this move this move has basically been uh, a little too much based on you know certain narratives surrounding Tampa Bay at this point in time. I do think they're good. I don't know if they're necessarily the best team in the NFL sort of good, which is basically what they'd be, you know, getting prices 10 and a half, 11 point favorites on the road against the Giants at this point in time. So I'm buying into it, but I, I have been like you. Monday Night Football has not been my friend. It's been more, you know, the Sunday morning main. I just need to take where... Monday nights off. Um, right, right. right. Let's do some quick hitters here. Uh, Jets are plus 19 in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one because the narrative around the Chiefs is they basically have been toying with teams throughout the whole season. They can turn it on when they want. So, uh, you know, maybe from that perspective, you think it could stay close. If they don't, if they end up blowing out that team, I think that narrative kind of is laid to rest and you start to question what they did earlier in the season. So I don't know. I don't I don't hate the Jets at this point in time. Obviously, they're going to be um, popular just from, you know, a betting model perspective, just with regression, kind of pulling that line back to it. So from that Point of thinking, I do think uh, we might have just a little bit of value on the Jets. Obviously, that's not a comfortable feeling, but the betting market has definitely bought into the Jets after just one cover. So uh, I don't hate leaning on that one more time here at this point. Can you can you back the Jets at this point in time? Or are you just not even touching? Let, this game let me basically? let me show you what quick hitter means. Nineteen is too many points, even for the Jets. Right. Um, and I will certainly eat my words on Sunday, but. I just think that's the smart mathematical play. Those those lines right. are massive, and um, yeah. Um, okay, the Thursday night game: Falcons are a three point underdog, uh, though it may become uh, two and a half shortly. To the Carolina Panthers in Carolina, Christian McCaffrey is back. The offense is back. Going to throw a check ball <laughs> onto him. Got to lean Atlanta at that point. So I. I am with you here, and that scares me because I always think you go better coach here, but I feel like Christian Caffrey back, they're just going to feed this guy. And um, 
you know, Atlanta's going to come out and, and figure it out. Uh, and let's close out with this one. The Minnesota Vikings, seven-point underdogs in Green Bay. I wish I had six and a half. I'm still Biden minus seven. I can't I can't bet the Vikings at this point in time. I, lo- I learned my lesson back in the golfers on Saturday night. Uh, I'm just not going back to the well in any sort of situation like that. So Okay. Uh, that is fair enough. Um, let's do a little prize picks to close this baby out because we just talked about the Thursday night game. So the way prize picks works is prizepicks.com. You can parlay two, three, or four players, and you're picking them to either go over or under their fantasy projected total. Um, and depending on how many players you decide to parlay together, you can uh, you earn a certain multiplier uh, of your money. So if you pick all four and you get them all four right, you can get 10x your uh, investment, which is kind of cool. So uh, looking at the Thursday night game, um, I my thought process here is that um, it's all about Falcons and Todd Gurley looked very very not great um, so I could either see going like Gurley under and then going to the other side of the ball and taking um maybe a Robbie Anderson uh, or a Curtis Samuel over. Um, See, I I was going to lean Curtis Samuel under, but other hmm. than that, I love the Todd Gurley under as well. So the to- those are those are my two. The I Todd think. Gurley under is just locked in for me. Right. Just, <laughs> you just can't, it just locks your eyes in. You're not straight away I, from I can't move away from it. So why don't you give me, why don't you help me out here and, and pair something with Todd Gurley under 69. See, I like, I like Curtis Samuel under. Mm. I'm not sure. I need to look a little bit more at their average depth of target. Obviously, DJ Moore has been uh, much further downfield. Robbie Anderson as well. So I do think just with Christian McCaffrey back, maybe some of those targets for Curtis Samuel aren't necessarily uh, going in his direction at this point in time. So I do think that probably 10 fantasy point projections is just a little bit overstated so that would be my other lean at this point in time but i don't mind uh teddy bridgewater maybe under 21 fantasy mm-hmm. points projection as well just fading that you know the panthers in general at this point in time um could be a decent play i think so yeah, i'm with you there cool uh that was it i'm gonna go try and get over uh the bears sucking and uh hopefully you do the same and we'll talk again soon